Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. Well, our first scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Pray like this, Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today and forgive us for the ways that we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us in temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you would, please join me in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. You give us, your children, the words to say. Tell us what they mean. Make them lead us to you. Bring us as we pray into your presence within the words and where the words end and where you and our rest in you begins. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a new Lenten sermon series called The Prayer as Jesus Taught It. And throughout this series, we are going to be studying how it is that we ought to pray by looking at how Jesus prayed. And we're primarily going to focus on um, what has become known as the Lord's Prayer or sometimes the Our Father. Because it's the one prayer that Jesus provides us as a way of instructing us on how we should pray. Right? Jesus says, pray like this, or when you pray, say, and then the Lord's Prayer. So when Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray, he's really just modeling what it looks like to pray. Right? It, it's not about saying those exact words, but it's meant as a pattern or a template for prayer. It wasn't meant to be the only thing that we ever pray, but it's an indicator of the types of things that we ought to pray. Right? And so it allows us to learn better how we might engage God in prayer. Prayer is something, actually, that most people in the United States do. A Barnish study showed that 84% of people in the United States reported that they prayed at least once a week. And in a Pew Research study, 55% of people reported that they prayed daily. But even though people seem to be drawn to pray, I think there's something that people struggle with around prayer, especially public prayer. Um, when asked how people pray, 82% of those who prayed said that they typically pray either silently or by oneself. If you are a pastor, it often feels like you are the designated prayer, right? Because most people um, are just uncomfortable praying in public. And I think um, this stems from a number of questions that maybe we have about prayer. Things like, you know, does God really hear our prayers and is God tired of our pleas? Do we, um, do our words, I mean, are we saying the right words? Are there certain words we're supposed to say or are the things we say just superficial and not good enough for God? And does the prayer really matter? And at the end of the day, just how should we pray, right? I think that's the intimidation of praying in public because we all think we're doing it wrong somehow. So my hope is in this series, as we explore um, what Jesus says about prayer, we can better understand the role of prayer in our faith journeys, um, but also to offer prayer and how we might offer prayer um, and receive prayer ourselves. So I wanted to begin with just a little bit of background on the Lord's Prayer. We actually have two versions of the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. 
Um, The first version, which is a little bit longer, is found in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's in the midst of um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And in the midst of that um, sermon, Jesus is talking to the crowd, and he instructs the crowd on how they should pray, saying this, Pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom, so your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways that we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us in temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Um, And it's found really in the midst of a broader teaching um, to the crowd about how not to pray, right? So right before he gives us sort of this template of how we should pray, Jesus says, like, this is how you should not pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites, right, who just stand on the street corners and pray to be showy and try to impress everybody. And he says, don't pray like the Gentiles who just think if they, like, keep on a whole bunch of words, people will pay and God will pay more attention to them. Right? And I think for many of us, that's the hang-up, right? We feel like our prayer has to be eloquent. We have to use the right words. It has to impress people in some way, right? We're trying to be showy, and it intimidates us from even wanting to engage in prayer, particularly publicly, Right? Or we think that, you know, it has to um, be long and extravagant in some way. Right? And I think we have all these beautiful written um, prayers that are like within some people's spiritual, you know, gifts. And then the rest of us think, well, we're not um, able to pray in that way, so maybe we shouldn't. Right? But Jesus is saying it's not about showy. It's not about the words that you use. It's really about what's behind it all, and what's in your heart as you try to connect with God, right? So the pressure is off a little bit. In the second version, um, it's actually found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a little bit shorter version of the Lord's Prayer, and it says this, Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need today. Forgive us our sins, for we also... Uh, forgive everyone who has wronged us and don't lead us into temptation, right? It hits many of the same points, but it's a little bit more abbreviated. And Jesus gives this prayer actually in response to one of the disciples who witnesses Jesus praying and says to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. Now, in addition to these two examples of the Lord's Prayer that we have in Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, um, we also have an example of the Lord's Prayer in a document called the Didache. And the Didache was written in the second century, and it was kind of like the playbook of early Christianity. It describes all the early Christian practices. It describes Christian ethics, baptism, communion, church organization, and things like prayer. And so in the Didache, the the prayer says this, As the Lord commanded in his gospel, so pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the glory forever. And then it ends saying, Three times a day, pray in this fashion. So from the Didache, we begin to understand that this prayer wasn't just something that was done in worship services, communally together, but it was probably a prayer that people um, prayed regularly throughout the day um, as individually, 
right? This like three times a day pattern was probably modeled off a Jewish prayer where they would pray morning, midday, and late afternoon. Um, And so people were using this prayer in the same fashion, praying it throughout the day. So the version of the Lord's Prayer that we recite today in worship is based on these different versions of the Lord's Prayer that we have from Scripture and from the Didache. If we look at the prayer, it's really divided into three parts. The first is an introduction part, right? This like, our Father who art in heaven. It's sort of like the uh, initial addressing God, the introduction in our prayer. Um, Then it's followed by seven petitions. The first one is, hallowed be thy name, then thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, and then deliver us from evil. The first three petitions actually focus on God, right? They're about what God is doing, right? God's kingdom coming, God's will being done, God's name being Howell. I skipped that one. That's the first one. We'll talk about that one today. And then the remaining four are really about our own needs and asking God to fulfill our needs. Then the prayer ends with a doxology, right? And a doxology is just kind of a fancy word for praising God, usually in song. Um, And so in the Didache, which is the only version that we have, actually, that doxology, it's not found in the versions in Scripture. Um, In the Didache, it's, for yours is the power and the glory forever, right? The United Methodist version, as we sing it, is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, right? And if you've ever been to another church, they have, like, different ways of ending that. And so sometimes you're saying it one way and everybody else is saying it another way and you're confused for a moment. So today we're going to begin by looking at that introduction, how we address God, and then the first petition. So the introduction begins with our Father. I think it's really interesting that Jesus uses the term our Father. He doesn't say my Father, right? But it's more um, communal than that. Right? We begin remembering that, that God is not just my father, right? but God is all of our fathers, that we're all God's children, and therefore God is everyone's father. And I think in a world that is so polarized right now, perhaps it's more important than ever for us to remember that God is also the father of all the other people, the people who have right, different perspectives on social issues or different political affiliations or of a different race or gender or economic status than us. The people that we've defriended on Facebook because we can't stand their post anymore, right, are all God's children and God is their father too. In the Gospel of John, Jesus prays, I pray that they will be one. That's like one of his final prayers, right? He prays us because, right, he knows that we're going to be divided. Right? He knows that the division that we see in the world today is going to happen because we are human and we all fall short and miss the mark. But when we pray our Father, it's like this reminder that we are supposed to be one. We're not supposed to be divided. We're supposed to love one another. And that God just isn't just our Father, but all of our fathers. And that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It reminds us that the Christian faith isn't supposed to be lived alone, right? But that it's communal. 
And so when we pray, we oughtn't be just focused on ourselves and our own needs and our own desires, but on the world around us. Right? Because God and life isn't just about us. And so when we begin with this Our Father, it focuses the rest of the prayer beyond our own desires and recognizing that we have obligations to our neighbors and not just uh, to ourselves. So then Jesus addresses God as Father, or Abba is the, is the term used there. And throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous names that are used to address God. Yahweh, right, is the name that God calls God's self to Moses when Moses is at the burning bush and asks, what should I call you? He says, Yahweh, I am what I am, right? Sometimes in the Old Testament, God's referred to as El or Elohim, which is just a general term for God. Or El Shaddad, God Almighty, or Adonah, or Adonah um, Lord. But here Jesus chooses to instruct us to pray Father. There's only two instances where God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament. And this name Father really signifies God's role in our life. God is like a father who is actively interested in our lives in the same way that a father would take interest in the lives of their children who are dependent on them. As our Father, God responds to us and acts in our best interests. And I think for some, that term Father is like difficult, right? Maybe they had a bad relationship with their father, or their father was abusive, or wasn't a good role model, or their father left. Or for others, that just seems sexist, right? Elevating fatherhood over motherhood, or men over women. And I would say that just as a reminder that this prayer was meant to be a pattern of prayer. So if you're not comfortable using Father for God, use something that works for you. There's lots of ways that God is referred to, even um, mothering metaphors for God that we find throughout Scripture, right? God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child, or like a woman who never forgets her nursing child. God will never forget God's children. Or God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. Or God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. Or God cares for people like a midwife who cares for a child she just delivered. Or God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like the mother hen longs to gather her chicks. Right? God transcends this ideas that we have of male or female, mother or father. But if your image of a father isn't the image of a God who is loving and compassionate and merciful, I hope that you'll find comfort in Jesus' prayer. Because he's saying that you do have a father who loves you unconditionally, who wants the best for you, who will never leave you. Right? God the Father isn't modeled after our earthly fathers. Rather, our earthly fathers ought to model their fathering after God the Father. So when we pray to our Father, we recognize that God is loving and kind and compassionate and forgiving, faithful and merciful. We aren't saying God is like our human fathers who fall short, 
But God is the perfection of love and the perfection of what we would hope fatherhood to be. So then Jesus goes on to say, Our Father, who art in heaven. So why do we need to include God's location in our prayer? Well, when you think of heaven, we tend to think of God overseeing everything from above. Right? So when we pray who art in heaven, we recognize that God is in charge of everything. That it's God who rules over everything and not us. Right? The word heaven also refers to air or atmosphere or wind. And so while God is sort of ruling over us, there's a sense from this idea of heaven that God is also all around us and surrounds us no matter where we are in every moment. And so when we pray who art in heaven, we recognize God's power and God's presence in and over our lives. So next comes the first petition of the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. So a Sunday school teacher said, okay, chaos, who can tell me some of the different names used when we talk about God, right? We named some of those earlier. And a boy raises his hand and he yells out, hallowed. And the Sunday school teacher, a little confused, says, Hallowed? How did you get that answer? And the boy said, It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. Ha ha. Nobody likes my jokes this morning. (laughs) All right. Hallowed actually means to make holy or to revere or to honor. So if you remember the Ten Commandments, the first commandment says, Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it was of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Right? So when we pray this, we are praying that we might honor God. Instead of revering God, we often hallow our own name, though, don't we? Right? We're like those hypocrites who are just trying to make ourselves look good, drawing attention to ourselves rather than God. But Psalm 115 reminds us, not to us, Lord, not to us. No, but to your own name give glory because of your loyal love and faithfulness. Right? When, as we're praying, we need to focus on God and what God's love is doing and God's faithfulness is doing instead of what we're doing. Right? When we pray, hallow be thy name, it reminds us that we're supposed to honor God, not just in our prayers, but in the entirety of our lives. Right? It's not just our prayers that sometimes we're hypocrites in, Right? But we're always trying to show off, aren't we? Whether it's the clothes we wear or the car we drive or the amount of money that we make or the pictures of our perfect lives that are on Facebook and Instagram. So we're asking God to help us put all that aside. And instead, not only in our prayer, but in our lives, that we would honor God in the things that we do and the things that we say. And in a way, in order for us to be able to do that, we're really asking God to humble us. Right? Because prayer is really intended to shape us. Right? When we pray, like God already knows what we're thinking. God already knows our desires and what we need. So we're not really in praying in order to inform God. 
And we don't really have the power to coerce God to get what we want, although we often try. At least I do. (laughs) When we pray, it's less about God doing something. And it's more about opening up ourselves to God so that we can do God's will. Prayer, Prayer has this powerful way of changing us. And then through changing us, changing the world. So it really isn't about getting God to do what we want God to do, like we get the vending machine God, right? You put in your, I was going to say quarter, but it's like two bucks now at the vending machine. You got to use your credit card. And then you push in the number and you get out what you want. And I think a lot of times we address prayer that way. But it's really about helping us to listen for God and how God's trying to shape us and prepare us so that we might live lives that honor God. And so it really is this reminder that everything we do is meant to honor God, right? So in listening, God is directing us to live a life that is honoring, that is worthy of God's name. So this first petition, right, asks us, God, help us honor you. Help us to be humble. Help us to be shaped by you so that we might hallow your name in everything that we do. So throughout this six weeks, we're going to continue to pick apart this prayer. I took a class on the Gospel of John, and one of the first days the professor said, the Gospel of John can be an inch deep or as deep as the deepest ocean, right? Like you can read the Gospel of John really superficially and take meaning from it. And you can read the Gospel of John from this really deep level with all the symbolism that's in that Gospel and gain this really rich meaning from it also. And I think the same is true of the Lord's Prayer. It's something that we often say and we recite in church over and over again. And there is like this superficial level to just saying it that helps us to connect with God. And I don't want to diminish that at all. I mean, a lot of times when people are struggling, right, it's the only words they have to pray, and they fall back on it. Or so often when people are very sick or they are on their deathbeds, I mean, they won't even be talking at all at that moment, but when you say the Lord's Prayer, they begin to mouth it with you, right? It has this power to connect people with God on just this surface level. But I hope over the next six weeks that we can like dive in deeper and really understand what it is that we're praying so that the prayer might be even more transformative in our lives so that we might be people that honor God in everything that we do. So I invite you just to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.